very warm welcome to the latest edition of My Role in the Safe System, the podcast series from Project Edward that will be running through 2024. And I'm thrilled to have on board a great friend of Project Edward, who is Terry Cook. Uh, And I'm a bit embarrassed because Terry Cook's far better at podcasting than I am. Um, Terry, welcome along to the programme. Let me uh, give a few more accolades. So you are um, a driving instructor. You run the Instructor Podcast, the Five Minute Theory Test. You organise conferences. You write in magazines. Um, there's a lot going on for you. So uh, thank you for sp- sparing us the time to to, to jump on our, our podcast. How's how how's things? Uh, things are great, James, and thank you for that warm welcome. I think you're overselling it slightly, but but I'll take it. And uh, yeah, I can always make time for Project Edward, and especially your good self. Oh, that's very nice to, to, to hear. Thank you. As you know, we're talking about the safe system. So we tend to start every conversation by looking at different people and their roles in the safe system. Can you then therefore help us with yours? How do you see your role in the safe system? Well, I've been stewing over this for quite a while, what the role of a driving instructor is in the safe system and going on epic monologues, trying to work out what's what. And, I keep coming back to a review that I had as a driving instructor about about six years ago, I think it was, where someone left me this lovely review. And then at the end of it, it simply said, Terry doesn't just teach people to pass a test. He teaches them not to crash and die. And I thought, whilst that may be slightly comical in its tone, it's, it's accurate. That's what we do. That's at the core of what we do. It's not about, or at least it's evolving. It used to be about teaching people to pass a test. And we're evolving so that it's not just about passing a test anymore. It's about teaching you how to be safe on the roads afterwards so that you don't, as the reviewer eloquently put it, crash and die. So does that allow you to find your place as the little Jiminy Cricket on somebody's shoulder um, once they've passed their test and, and hopefully staying there as that little prick of conscience for, for some years afterwards? And and if so, how do you do it? That, that's something I've been debating for, for a long time. It's something I used to talk about a lot, having Terry on your shoulder. I used to say like that, and it used to help people. I used to have people going on the test, for example, and they'd come back and they'd be like, yeah, I had you on my shoulder and I remember, I'm like, now I'm at a point where I think I don't want me on the shoulder. I want to create independent, curious drivers that make decisions without having to think back to what I told them. And that doesn't mean I can't impart knowledge or wisdom. You know, I'm a very knowledgeable person, obviously, uh, but it doesn't mean I can't offer insights and help. But I think the bigger goal is to create drivers that think smart drivers that that know how to make choices because we can teach how to use a clutch. We can teach how to steer or what to do in this situation. But the problem is within a lifetime of driving, you come up on so many different situations that we can't possibly take, get you into because they'll be random. You know, I can't hire horses to, to run out in front of you. I can't hire as happened to me recently, a cow to stand in the middle of the road, you know? So we have to teach learner drivers that then become drivers how to make decisions in these situations and make the best decision they can in that situation and we do that by asking them questions by getting them thinking by making it so it's not just driving you know we'll drive and we'll also have conversations and i'll ask 
what would you do in this situation? What will you do when you've got your friends sat in back of the car and they're putting pressure on you to overtake? What would you do when your dad's sat next to you and your dad's saying, go in that space, go in that space, you know, or someone's chelping at you, but a roundabout. What do you do in those situations and getting them thinking? That's the big thing we're after. So whilst I'm not adverse to someone having a little me sat on the shoulder, I think the bigger thing is we want to create those independent thinking drivers. Let's look at the system within which you operate. So the whole of the driver learning process and, and everything that's involved in it. Simple question to start with. Is it fit for purpose? No. There's elements of it that is. I think the whole system could do with an overhaul. The, the testing aspect of it, of both the theory and the driving, the, the way we get licenses, um, you know, after the test and, and retesting and stuff like that, but also the way that instructors teach and the way that instructors are developed and taught, because the same problems learners might face in learning to drive in that you don't need to be taught by someone that knows what they're doing. You just need to have someone that's been driving for three years sat next to you. You can learn to be an instructor without having that same sort of quality supervision and quality input. So I think that across the board, it could do with a huge overall in pretty much every sector. So is it fit for purpose? Maybe I'm being a tiny bit harsh, but no. Well, in which case, let's try and think what needs to change then, what the different components are, because we have that opportunity. We can be um, in an ideal world. What would what would you want to, to change? So what would the, be the first thing that you think would make a difference in the, in the quality and relevance that, that you can give to your students? I think there's a lot of different places we could start and I'm not a hundred percent sure where the right one place to be or what the exact right change would be, but I would like to see learners having to do a minimum period of not lessons, but time. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be like 40 hours, yeah, 40 hours or 60 hours or anything like that, but it has to be done maybe over a 12 month period. You have to do so many in each quarter of the year so that you experience different scenarios. You know, I spoke before about the different scenarios people might experience while they're driving. Well, if you learn to drive in the summer, the chances are you're not getting any nighttime driving. So you pass in September or you know, August. And two months later, you're driving in the dark for the first time, which is a completely different kettle of fish. So we want to give people as many different scenarios as possible. So by enforcing some of that would be excellent. The same way we could enforce, well, it's difficult to do, but enforce motorway driving before you are allowed to go on a motorway. You know, I think that there should be some things that are enforced and mandated. And I think that if we could put that into learning process, that will help show some of the learner drivers what's important and also help show some of the instructors what's important. But if that would be helpful, why isn't it already done? Because there is the opportunity for, for some learners to, to go on the motorway, isn't there? But they don't have to. So why isn't it already mandatory? It's largely about mindset. So it depends where we're looking at. If you're looking at learner drivers, from my experience, I would say 90% of the people that I work with want to practice motorways. They want to practice slip roads on dual carriageways. Another good example, because a lot of the slip, uh, dual carriage in my area is to have slip roads. So they want to practice these different things that they won't come across on a driving test because they want to be safe learners. The problem is the, the 10% that don't want to do that because they're focused on passing a test. And a lot of that comes from the parental pressure, which is 
well, back in my day, you know, I'll fast in 10 hours and I've never had a crash, so everything must be safe and rosy and, you know, all that kind of nonsense. So even from the 90% that want to do it, there's still a big chunk of that that are having to fight the parents and that I have to have discussions with parents about sometimes. But then you flip to the other side of driving instructors, their reluctance to, to, to push for that or to change for that sometimes is because they're having that fight with some of their students. So because they're having that argument with some of their students, it falls back to, well, we don't have to, why should we? This is harder for me, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's some instructors that take that. And then when you look at higher up above that, you know, even if you put that into, and this isn't my forte, so I'm going to get this wrong, but even if you put that into like a, a political sense, how many voters are going to vote for? Well, you have to do this or you have to retake a driving test every five years, for example. You know, imagine putting that into a political manifesto. That's not going to go down well. So I think that there's all different kind of battles there. But what I find is when I offer that to students, and I say 90% of it, bite my hand off. Well, that's encouraging. Let's now move away and, and just from the student drivers themselves and where appropriate their parents and just start finding out, you know, who you are in contact with, who, I mean, the, the, the word is stakeholders or partners, but I don't like those words. Um, who who are important? I mean, is, does the academic world have a, a good bearing on, on what driving instructors are doing? Do you follow the latest research and who's saying what about things like graduated driver licensing or behaviour change? It's a really good question because there are some driving instructors that are awesome with this stuff. There are some driving instructors that are, they've got the finger on the pulse in terms of the road safety sector, in terms of the academic sector, and they bring that into lessons. So we'll talk about the higher levels of the, the goals for driver education matrix. We'll have those conversations that I mentioned before about what you'll do after. We'll come into the car with various statistics and, and some of the latest ideas um and you know they'll attend conferences uh, you mentioned conferences before people like liz box and david crundall and you know th these awesome people from within your sector but not everyone does that i can compare this back to the learning drive aspect because you don't have to do more ways not everyone's going to do more ways so because we don't have to have our finger on the pulse of road safety, not everyone's going to. I believe we should. You know, it's a project I'm launching this year, driving instructors to Vision Zero. Is it aimed to bridge that gap, to provide more information to instructors, to make it more relevant, to make it so that we can buy in more and actually utilise it? But even with that, I'm already facing some um, resistance from instructors or the idea of why should we? I'm also facing a little bit of resistance from some of the road safety sector of well, you guys aren't doing it. Why should we come to you? So my goal there is to meet in the middle, but you, we should be. And a lot of instructors are. And I would encourage anyone that's listening that's maybe going for lessons to look for those instructors that are, because if you get that kind of input, if you get that kind of um, role in your, your lessons, you're going to be a hell of a lot safer after. Let's look beyond the learner driver, because there's a, there's a big move for refresher driver training perhaps particularly for folks like me who are knocking on a bit and 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 who may not have had any form of refresher training for decades if at all is that an opportunity and what what safety benefits could you see for that and and is it a business opportunity for driving instructors as well 100% it's a business opportunity. Um, I, I started a little project a little while ago with my little driving school of 
I opened up my Wednesday evenings and I told my, all of my students, everyone that come in, that if you have a parent or a, like a, a close friend that wants a free lesson on a Wednesday evening, an hour long, that can be an assessment of their driving, let me know. And there were a handful of people that took me up on it. They came and had an assessment lesson. Some took the feedback and went off and hopefully applied it. Uh, some took the feedback and were offended. And were like, ah, well, this is all nonsense. And some took the feedback and then came back with further lessons. So even just within that idea of someone running a driving school, there is opportunity there because refresher lessons are helpful. You know, I I still have them. You know, once a year I go for, as a driving instructor, once a year I try and find other instructors to assess my driving. So I think there's definitely areas of opportunity there, as with anything that can be met with resistance. But yeah, whether it's mandated, which I don't ever think it will be, but that would be a, a goal, I suppose. But as instructors, it's something we can offer and should offer, in my opinion. Let's talk finally, if we may, about driving instructor mental health, because there's a lot of emphasis that's been looked at student well-being. But I'm just imagining you having a busy day of driving instructing and lots of others will be doing the same thing. You may have stressful occasions. Um, a lot of it can be very stressful. The last student goes, you head home. There may be no one that you can talk to at home and you're on your own and you have to do it all again tomorrow. Let's just talk about how you deal with that and what help there might be. There is help. This is one of the the amazing things that's that's I spoke before about our industry, our industry evolving, and there never used to be help, and now there is. Now there's communities. You know, I'll use again. I'll use my example of of the podcast I run. You mentioned at the beginning the instructor podcast. That was partly created to create a community, and it has created a community of people that can talk and or just switch on a podcast and listen to like minded people, but. There's also been changes, for example, the Driving Instructor Day, March the 16th. That was, again, created to to look at the positivity of our industry because, as you mentioned, it can be quite negative. People drive differently behind a learner car than they do a real car, or a real car, you know what I mean? Um, so they, they drive differently in those scenarios, and it's it can be quite pressureful, and it can be quite negative, especially going to have a student fail a test. It's a horrible feeling. So Driving Instructor Day on March the 16th was created to celebrate some of that positive and have a positive day. Then we had another project re uh, start recently called the ADI Walkback, which is the 13th every month where driving instructors locally, getting together and going for walks, um, aiming to build that community, which is uh, an amazing thing. And that was created by Chris, Chris Benson of the Driving Instructor Training Slots. And then there's other people I'm going to mention as well, uh, people in the mindfulness and the mental health first aid space like Sophie Thompson, Sam Harper, Emma Cottington that are bringing these mindset and mindfulness skills into our industry that if if a driving instructor is really struggling, we can reach out to these people for help. So I think that the big thing is community and there are now options within our industry that have never been there before, which is just a, a wonderful time to be an instructor in many ways. Finally, Terry, then just a, an opportunity. Imagine your roads minister for the day. The safe system is top of your agenda. What three things might you do? to assist in better understanding and implementation of the safe system and getting us all heading towards vision zero? I think there has to be things mandated. I think that we're at that point now where people aren't going to take action without things being mandated. So I think retesting would be a big one if I could introduce retesting. So whether that would be every five years, 10 years, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think there'd be some form of retesting. 
I think graduated licensing would be a way forward. And I think a, a massive overhaul of the way that driving instructors are trained um, because we need to be at our best to help the the 17 year olds. I'll go back to what that review said at the start. We need to be at our best to help those 17 year olds not crash and die after their test. So we have to be better. And I include myself in that because we can all improve. Terry Cook, thank you so much for joining us on uh, our Project Edward 2024 podcast with the safe system, my role in the safe system. Next time, we're going to be joined by Seema Yalamanchili, who's a general surgeon and a clinical research fellow at Imperial College London at their Institute of Global Health and Innovation. And we'll be looking at uh, greater sharing of collision data and medical information about crash victims, what that could lead to in terms of a better understanding of the causes and the costs, both human and financial, of death and injury on our roads and therefore work towards improving safety. So do join us for that. But for now, from me, James Larkhurst and the Project Edward team, uh, it's a big thank you to Terry Cook and cheerio for now. <laughs>